Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, the pastor of West Bradenton Baptist Church in Bradenton, Florida, Josh King, the pastor of Saxe's Church in Saxe, Texas, and me, Micah Fries, the pastor of Brainerd Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're glad you're here. Well, we're excited on this week's edition of EST to have a friend of mine, one of the guys that I think is one of the most faithful and effective established church pastors in the country, Dr. Eric Thomas. He's the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Norfolk, Virginia, and you can tell I lived in the area because I say it Yeah, right. you said it right. <laughs> Everybody else says Norfolk, and uh, you know you're a guest when you say that. But anyway, Eric is with us. Eric has been, how long have you been at, at Norfolk now? It'll be 14 years in July. See, that's what I thought, man. You've been there for a long time. Now, Eric, yeah. uh, First Norfolk was already sort of longstanding history, really well respected when you got there, um, faithful church, and mm. and and really you followed some uh, two or three pastors that had pretty big shadows. I mean, men like Ken Hemphill yeah. and, and, uh, and, and others who have had significant influence in the Southern Baptist Convention, and yet you've done a really good job of sort of embedding yourself in the church and uh, and leading well, what was it like following some of those significant names uh, that you followed after? I, th- I think that when you walk into uh, a place like First Norfolk, you've got to evaluate who you got to be really solid in who you are, because uh, the guys that that came before me are, as you said, they, they cast long shadows and not just for the church, but also in the community here in in the seven cities. And and so. Um, there were uh, aspects of who they are, uh, and I admire them and I love them, but that that's not who I am. So when I came in, I really had to, I, I, my dad always said, you got to be solid in your gut. So I had to have a solid gut about mm-hmm. knowing who I am. Uh, and then, and then evaluating, um, uh, where the church was at the time. And, uh, at that point, when I walked in, I, I, I wasn't so concerned about them saying, well, you're not Ken or, or any of the other pastors that came before me. I was more concerned about um, how we can lead the church through um, uh, through change in a way that gives longstanding uh, effect, uh, not, not just for a year, uh, but uh, really trying to figure out how to plant some trees uh, under whose shade I may never sit, but but that would uh, uh, produce kingdom growth uh, over the long haul. And so, uh, you know, you 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 come in, you be your man, be who you are, not so worried about what everybody else has to say about it. Uh, but that you know that's hard too. You know, I, I, that's not always easy. Yeah, you may. Okay, so there's something I want to dig in a little bit on, um, Eric. You talked about you know this confidence in your gut, being your own man. There's a really fine line between um, leading from a position of arrogance and, mm-hmm. uh, and self-confidence. Uh, well, maybe sinful self-confidence. I, I don't know a right. better way to do it. And then just being confident in who the Lord has designed you to be and how the Lord has designed you to lead. How do you walk that fine line while still walking in humility, graciousness, um, but at the same time also being confident? I think for me, it, it, you know, I've, I, nobody would ever say that I'm a shrinking violet. You know, I mean, that, that's, that's not my personality. But I did know uh, coming in that that if if I ran stuff on the power of my 
ego or personality that it would produce some effect, but it would be short term. And so one of the one of the five ambitions of my life uh, that I really developed that first year was the first one. Uh, my supreme ambition uh, is God's glory. And so it, it, it simple statement, but a constant prayer. Um, so my confidence was more in um, what God was leading. And, and so my ego was not so wrapped up in it in the best of me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and so I, I worked real hard to make sure that, that, uh, that I didn't feed my ego too much. Uh, you know, you have opportunities to feed your ego. And, and I kind of stepped away from that intentionally knowing my own, uh, my own weaknesses, uh, for, uh, uh, you know, people recognizing me or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so I, I intentionally built a, a boundary and established some boundaries and had some key men to help me watch those boundaries. So that I wasn't trying to feed my ego with using the church as a platform for my, my ego or using my ministry as an ego uh, platform for my ego, but really uh, trying to key in on what's going to bring God the greatest glory as I lead this church and pastor these people. Yeah, you say you're not a shrinking um, violet. I remember one of the first times you and I hang, hung out together. <laughs> Maybe you remember this. I don't know. We're in the back. I'm in the back of the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting, and I hear someone holler, Micah, freeze. And I look, and I see Eric Thomas barreling toward me, and arms and legs full-on bear hug, and almost yeah. knocked me across the back of the room. <laughs> and I thought, this is a guy I can be friends with. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 that the Southern Baptist Convention brings out the the child in me. I think I, I don't know, uh, or you, the you something. I, I don't you know. You and I exactly both grew up going there, though. So we uh, yeah, we did experience exactly. kids. It, yeah, it does something to me. So let's go back. Oh, I, I want to dig in a little bit deeper on this still because I, I man, I'm I'm just convinced that. Um, you know, that everybody's broken. Every, I like to say everybody has daddy issues. I don't mean everybody's got problems with their dad. Everybody's got emotional baggage yeah. is what I mean. And we all self-medicate. You know, a lot of the people in the pews self-medicate with food and alcohol and family and work and that sort of thing. Um, and I think pastors often self-medicate with ministry. So we get our validation. Yeah. You know, we say we don't like the super pastor syndrome, but truthfully, when that, you know, that lady puts her arm around us and says, Pastor, nobody preaches to me like you do, something deep yeah. down inside says, hey, man, you matter. You know, you're important. So you, you talk about putting some safeguards in place. I find so many pastors, and this can really be difficult in the established church, so many pastors rise and fall on criticism and praise. What, yeah. If you don't mind sharing, what are some protections that you put in place to help protect you from rising and falling on criticism and praise and sort of being grounded, your, your identity and your validation grounded in Christ? Yeah, it's a struggle every Monday uh, just because you're, you're, you're tired and, you know, you, after preaching on Sunday four times and right. meetings and all that stuff, you're just tired. Uh, but uh, it is a daily discipline uh, where, and, and I've blown it so many times uh, just personally, but it, it's a daily discipline for me to make sure that, all right, first, am I bringing God glory? Second, am I, am I pleasing him? Third, am I true to the word? Uh, and four, uh, am, I, am I true to who God made me to be? And, and if I can walk those lines, if, if I bring God glory, if, if I uh, am faithful in what he's called me to do, if, if I'm true to who he's called me to be, 
and am doing what what I need to do in the church, then I don't have to worry so much uh, about what everybody says because everybody's got an opinion. And the larger the church, people talk about large church. Um, you know, the larger the church, the more opinions people have of you. And so uh, I've learned, uh, and I learned this, my, again, my dad's great, great mentor, obviously, of mine, but he, he taught me early on, uh, and he borrowed it from somebody else, but uh, the great things people say about you aren't true, and the worst things that people say about you aren't true. Right. Uh, it's probably somewhere in the middle. And, and so I have to evaluate uh, myself in, in those regards. Guys ask me hard questions, you know, about the things that I've said or, or uh, uh, things that I've, I've done or, you know, they, they ask me the hard questions. Did you do that for the right reason? Did you say that for the right reason? And those are guys that I trust. Those are guys that, that I meet with and share life with. And, and that, that helps uh, on a, on a regular basis to have somebody speaking truth into your world. Um, uh, so that you're not living in your own echo chamber. I, I, I grew up knowing mega church pastors right. and, and one of the, uh, the great thing about that is you get to know a lot of great godly men who have made a difference in my life and, and, and they've influenced me tremendously. Um, but then there are others that you, you watch them as a 16 year old boy and you say, good night. Really? Right. Uh, it's because their ego. So I have a predilection against it. I think uh, there's something built in in me uh, where I'm I'm not going to if I falter, it's going to be on the side of uh, I'm probably more concerned about uh, the negative, as probably all are, than than the positive of what people will say about me. The great things people say, I kind of ignore. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, but, but the negative things I, I, I will have a tendency to pay more attention to. Um, uh, but, but I try, I, you know, I try to filter that through my wife's a great, great, uh, she doesn't get all the stuff, but there's sometimes I come to her and say, you know, honey, did I come off this way? Uh, did I say something, uh, that, that was inappropriate? Um, uh, and, and if I do, then I, I need to deal with that. But, um, most of the time it's, uh, there is that sense of tough skin, tender heart that you really have to develop as a pastor. Um, and, 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 and you gotta have both. If you have a, if you have a thin skin and a hard heart going to be a dictator and a mean person, not a good pastor. Yeah. Uh, if you have a thick skin and a cold heart, um, then uh, you're, you're unapproachable. Uh, but if you have a thick skin and a tender heart, then you're approachable, but you're not going to let a lot of the yakety yak um, derail you mm-hmm. um, most of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's and helpful. devotional life. I, I didn't talk about devotional life, but you got to have that devotional life, too, obviously. Yeah. Walking intimately with Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's let's switch gears. We've talked a lot about you just personally and how you kind of how you manage those personal, uh, you know, spiritual responsibilities. I, I want to talk a little bit about the church that you lead because, and I've been making this claim for a long time. I've been a big Eric Thomas fan. I've pointed a ton of people to, to you just as an example. Um, you lead a downtown established first Baptist church with an incredible history that in many churches, the history would be greater than the present or the future. But in yeah. at, at first Norfolk, you guys, you're growing 
I mean, I would, yeah. you know, I would think you guys are as large or, as, or larger than you've ever been in the church's history. And uh, you are aggressively engaging on mission, both in your community and around the globe. How do you help keep an old, established, rooted, tradition, you know, tradition-rich church focused on mission? Uh, it, it's, it's really DNA. And, and uh, when I first came, um, I really had a conviction that the, the mega model, that huge attractional model, was not going to be the model that is going to be most effective in the future, uh, at least in the next two decades or three decades. A lot of that had to do with uh, some of my writing and my PhD uh, on postmodernism. And, and so I really began to, to uh, evaluate what are we going to do with this monolithic structure, this monolithic programming, the big, the big show kind of idea. And, and I'm not denigrating that. I'm just saying I felt like that that was not going to be the future for our church. We weren't going to change it overnight. And I knew that. But I did realize that if we began uh, when I first walked in and we took the time that needed to be taken, uh, we could change the DNA so that the church is no longer measuring its success by how big its choir was. Right. Uh, or by... Um, you know, uh, how big a conference we can put on or uh, how big our building is or, or anything like that. We started measuring things from a different uh, perspective, started measuring things from the perspective of how 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 wide is our reach? Um, uh, how many of our people are living the mission are, are are serving on mission? How many people are we mobilizing to uh, advance the kingdom, uh, to share the gospel, uh, to help hurting people? You know, those those became the measures. Uh, but that took time and, and it's still taking time. You know, it's it's uh, it, it, you find your sweet spot. And, and I'm a big proponent of sweet spot, Mike. I, uh, I when when you walk into an established church, there is a sweet spot for the church. There's something in the church that where the mission of God and the passion of the people and the leadership of the staff and the pastor all line up. It may be a small thing. It may be one event. It may be uh, one program. It may be one idea. But there will be a sweet spot in the established church. And so my goal was to take that sweet spot, which for us was one of them was Vacation Bible School. But you take those sweet spots and then you expand them and then you 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 really hit that sweet spot really hard. And while you're hitting the sweet spot, you let the other programmatic things and event-oriented things um, not gain as much notoriety. Uh, and so as you hit that sweet spot, you begin to expand that sweet spot, begin adding things to that sweet spot, uh, ideas, philosophies, approaches to ministry. Um, and, and, and you don't lead from the margin of the sweet spot. You, you lead from the center and you expand it out. And it takes time. It's not, you can't blow. When I came, our church was 1500. Uh, they'd gone through a hard time uh, right before I came and we were doing about 1500. Um, and, and, and now we're doing around 3000 a weekend. But, but that, that, that 1500 were, were, uh, they were solid people and you're not going to blow up 1500 people. They're going to blow you up. You know, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't take the road of discontinuity in that situation. You need to lead to the sweet spot 
that everybody aligns with. And then you, over time, you can add what you need to add. Um, and so that's what we have done. And it's helped, you know, I mean, uh, you have waves of people who leave the church because the mission uh, we had, I had a great, I had a, uh, there was a life group, a Sunday school class, small group, uh, called the great commission Sunday school class. And about year four or five, I unveiled this, every member, a missionary concept, which isn't a new concept wasn't innovative, but it was really the note that I was hitting. Uh, every person in that great commission Sunday school class left the church because they said I was becoming emergent. Emergent. I, I was, I was confused. <laughs> That's hilarious. Confused. Yeah. But, but anyway, that, so you have waves of people who leave over time, but, but if you, if you take the time and you, and you have that patience that it takes along with the zeal for the mission, it really will influence over time uh, the direction of the church. So our church today is far more missional than it's ever been in its history. And, and we're, you know, we're, we're continuing in that vein and that's exciting. Yeah. I think this is one of those things that um, those in the established church really struggle with is just the transition. They, they know where the church is at. They know where the church wants to yeah. be or where they want the church to be, but that getting them there. Um, is, is a struggle. One of the things that I think has probably helped you to be successful is your tenure, 14 years there. I think you said yeah. 14, correct? Yeah. 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 So how, how significant do you think tenure has been, uh, to, to your effectiveness in the long term? I, I think it's ab for a church like first Norfolk, there's no way that, that I can lead the church effectively in less than 10 years. There, there's just no way. I'm just now, I believe, in my, as a as pastoring first door, I'm just now at a place where we are hitting our stride. Um, and so when we walked in, when Edie and I came in, we made a commitment we were going to stay here. Um, and <clears throat> and and it was challenging at times to stay here uh, because you know there there were some some awesome opportunities at different points along the along the path, but um, but God. It really gave us a conviction to be here. And so we did de determined we were going to stay. And uh, and no matter what, this is where God wanted us to plan our life. And and I don't think that the church would be as healthy. Uh, it might be as large, but it wouldn't be as healthy um, if if I had not uh, stayed uh, over the long haul. And I believe uh, any established church, uh, tenure becomes... Uh, really essential. You can't do what you need to do in two years. Um, in some churches, maybe five, maybe. Right. right. Uh, ten, I think, is really that place where you really start developing um, a leadership, um, uh, leadership trust in a way that you can uh, set the direction of the church um, in the way that God has designed and people trust you in that leadership. Um and, and it, it, you know, uh, it, it is planting trees. It, it's not, uh, it, 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 you're, you're planting trees. Uh, you're, you're taking the time, uh, to, to nurture the trees and watch them grow. Um, and that's kind of the perspective that I've had. Um, and I think it's essential for, for a church like ours is, is definitely essential. So along those lines, then how, um, how much of your personal, 
you know, leadership investment has been sort of corporate from the platform, that sort of thing? And how much of it has been personal, one-on-one, small group, you know, that sort of, that sort of experience? I'm, I, I, I try to, uh, I try to spend time, uh, with a key group of people. Um, and that group changes and has changed over time. Uh, but like last night met with a, a team of, uh, 30 leaders and just spending time with them, uh, imparting vision, spending time with the staff, letting the staff spend time with their people. Um, I think that in terms of changing DNA or moving in a more mission-oriented uh, mission direction, um, setting the, the, the future for the church, I think in order to do that, uh, you have to do that one-on-one. You have to do that in a personal way. You, you, the platform uh, gets uh, a lot of the attention, but it's that 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 personal investment that that you have to uh, that you have to take in order to accomplish that. So every week I'm meeting with groups. Uh, after this, I'm going to meet with uh, uh, two guys uh, and just talk about uh, vision, mission, direction. Uh, and uh, every Friday morning, I meet with one guy. Uh, I've got a group of five guys that I meet with every other week. Uh, those are groups that. And it's not just about leadership. It's 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 making disciples and and you know I believe if you're making a disciple, you're making a missionary follower of Christ, one who is yeah. committed to the mission. Um, and so, uh, I you, the platform gets the attention, but it's that that daily, weekly, monthly uh, interaction with people that really gives the juice uh, to to accomplish the mission. And when I've done it well, we've we've expanded. Uh, in, in ways that, and when our staff has done it well, not just me, but when our staff has done it well, sure. Um, you know, we we've seen we've seen exponential help and growth. Yeah, I think this is one of those areas where I constantly hear pastors miss the mark. You know, I'll, I'll hear them say something like, "Well, I'm going to have Vision Sunday this weekend," and, uh, right. and their anticipation is, "I'm going to get up, I'm going to preach one humdinger of a sermon, I'm going to cast vision, and everybody's going to run together towards that vision." And I think. The reality is, in most of those churches, three days after Vision Sunday, 85% Nobody of the people remembers. don't remember the vision. Yeah, and, and so I think we miss just how uh, the ratio of influence in personal relationships versus you know corporate platform sort of presence is, is significantly out of whack, particularly in relationship to our expectations. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. That's helpful. Uh, the, you know, one of the great benefits that, that we have as pastors is we do have that platform and that's marvelous. But if you, if we have not spent time with the people during the week before we get up on that vision Sunday and then spend time with people the week after that vision Sunday and the weeks after, right. Then, right. then we've lost the vision. There's no, no vision has been cast. You just preached a good right. motivational thing <laughs> that looks good on YouTube. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was training some pastors earlier this week um, at a conference in actually in North Carolina, not far from you. North Carolina, yeah, I man. saw that. Yeah, and so one of the things I told them, and, and you know, I'm a, I mean, I'm a, I'm a boring forty-five minute verse by verse expository preacher. I love pulpit yeah. presence, but and I and I hope my friends who are expository preachers don't get ticked off at me. But I think the average pastor, if they spend twenty hours a week in their study doing sermon prep, they're failing their church. And uh, I think many of us think if we can just bury ourselves in the sermon, in the sermon prep, close our doors, you know, make sure that everything's ready, 
we're going to be able to grow a great church. And uh, and I just I don't find either textually or even experientially that no. that, that that's accurate. Well, and, so, and, and, and I agree with that. My, I think I think isolation is dangerous as a leader yeah. on a personal level, a spiritual level, and a leadership level. And yeah. and, and but so many pastors, that's what they do. It know? is. Yeah, it is. Talk to me about one last thing, and, and we'll be done with this. How are you helping develop new um, and emerging leaders in your church, whether they're lay leaders or potentially you know, pastoral staff members, that sort of thing? How are you investing mm-hmm. in developing those folks? One of the things that we do, uh, like tonight, I meet with uh, a group of younger men, um, and the goal of that is discipleship toward mission. Okay. And, uh, and, and so doing that... Uh, I usually pick one or two guys on staff. Uh, you know, we, we have a great staff and, and most of our staff are long tenured, but we have some really, uh, racehorse champion, uh, guys that come in that we know we're only going to have them for, for a season because they're going to go on and do some great things. So I try to spend, um, uh, Tuesday mornings with them. They're, they, they help in the preaching. Uh, you know, we, we, I preach four times, but we have two other services, uh, and I try to have, and we'll, we're going to enhance that in, in this year or at, adding another campus. And, uh, so I'm trying to develop leaders who pastor and preach. Right. And, uh, and, and so, uh, with these guys on staff, I'll, I'll, I'll spend time with them at least once a week. Um, and more Socratic, uh, mm-hmm. method there, uh, than, you know, lecturing or anything like that. Um, the guy I meet with on Friday, uh, he's a guy that I'm developing for our new campus to, uh, he's a lay leader, uh, but I really want to develop him, uh, maybe not this campus, but uh, one in the future where he can be uh, on staff as a lay leader um, and and just investing in him. Again, uh, trying to impart in him the way Jesus did his disciples, just walking him through ministry and and uh, the word of God and and walking in the spirit and that kind of thing. Uh, so uh, we have a formal pipeline, uh, but I'm more, uh, at, that's, and that's good. I love the formal pi- pipeline, but we, uh, what I do more is just the one-on-one, uh, spend time with them, have them read a book. Uh, let's talk about the book. Uh, uh, I had them read a, uh, the one guy that we got, um, he, uh, graduated from Southern seminary and, and so, uh, knowing that and appreciate that, love that, but, but, uh, knowing, uh, probably much of what he read and much of what he hadn't read, I gave him a book by E.Y. Mullins on the, the work of the Holy Spirit. Right. And he had never, and E.Y. Mullins, I mean, this is a guy that, that should be, you know, pretty prominent at Southern, you know, one of the right. New Testament scholars, but this guy had never read E.Y. Mullins. Okay. And so, uh. Uh, so walking him through that, letting him ask the questions and that kind of thing. So, uh, it's, uh, I have at least, uh, uh, two or three meetings tomorrow. I have lunch with a church planter in Norfolk that, uh, I'm going to, that I'm spending time with trying to develop him, uh, as well. So, uh, it's just an ongoing thing and, and people ask, and sometimes I say yes, sometimes I say no, Sure. Uh, but really try to invest time wisely in that. And that's helpful. Eric, thanks for hanging out with me today. Thanks for... Uh, for Micah, thank you, brother. Man, I appreciate you. I'm thankful for what you guys are doing at Norfolk.